Hello, friends, and welcome aboard this maiden voyage of Syracuse Sports with Brent Dax. We're glad you're here. Let's face it, college sports is kind of a bleep show right now. Makes it interesting for people like me to cover, and maybe it makes it interesting for you to watch. Between name, image, and likeness, NIL, realignment, and all the craziness that is ensuing in college sports, the transfer portal, it is, at the very least, fascinating to follow the comings and goings. And naturally, we're kind of focused on how Syracuse University is handling all this. Are they doing it right? Are they doing it right with name, image, and likeness? Are they safe in the ACC with realignment going absolutely bonkers at the moment? Who knows what could happen past me recording this thing as we speak right now. I think the ACC should go out and start acquiring the moon just to get a claim on that. The transfer portal... And through it all, what has to be most successful at Syracuse University for it to maintain its big-time status? I was wondering about all this as we began our adventure here on Syracuse Sports, and there was one person I thought of that could come in and talk about all of this with us. His name is Chris Carlson. I can't tell you how many times I have read a story on Syracuse.com from my friend Chris Carlson and said, damn, I wish I thought of that. Chris has a unique way to take a broad subject, oftentimes a complicated subject, and distill it down. And by the time you finish that story, you will say, I get it, and I understand it. And if anything, you learned a thing or two while reading it. So Chris and I are going to go through what we think are the three most pressing issues facing Syracuse University sports, not only now, but really for the next decade or so. Don't even get me to predict what is going to happen in college sports in the next 10 minutes, let alone the next 10 years. But we picked three things that are still going to be relevant and prevalent in the discussion, we think, over the next decade or so, even with the rapid changes that are happening in college sports. But as the great Pete Bell once said in the classic Blue Chips, which uh, Jim Beheim, of course, made a cameo in, it's just about money. God bleeping money. So with that in mind, let's bring in Chris Carlson. Chris Carlson, thank you for coming on this maiden voyage here on the Syracuse Sports with Brent Dax podcast. Good to see you, bud. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We'll, uh, you know, we'll work out all the kinks. We're going to work out all the kinks. So college sports is a madhouse right now. It's interesting for us because there's a lot to cover and a lot to talk about here. But we, what we wanted to do is take a look at kind of the three biggest issues facing Syracuse sports. And I think that you can apply two or three of these, maybe all of them, to all of college sports, right? I mean, just in the crazy environment we're in. But we kind of narrowed it down. Now, these are like big picture issues. We're not talking about, like, will the soccer team repeat as national champions or will Syracuse win six games this year? We're talking, like, broad, big scope, you know, John Wildhack's got it at the kind of the top of his list type of things. Stuff we're going to talk about for the next – 10 years yes. that you're going to be reading about and hearing about. and Think about that. You know, when we were kind of going over what we were going to talk about today, that came up, like what's going to happen in college sports in the next decade. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen in college sports in the next 10 minutes. Like, don't make me think about a decade at this point. But we're pretty confident these three things we're going to be dealing with here for the better part of the next five to 10 years, maybe even longer, right? So we are going to start with number one. And number one is, of course, Name, image, and likeness. N-I-L. 
where is Syracuse at when it comes to NIL? Because I think when you have that conversation, Chris, there's a name that pops to mind. For those of you that don't remember, a couple of months ago, Adam Weitzman brought all the celebrities to the games, sitting courtside, 20 million followers on Instagram, was Syracuse's Spike Lee, like sitting courtside, going forward in terms of headlines and making boombastic uh, attempts to put Syracuse in the spotlight. He pulls all the support. Mm-hmm. His uh, relationship with the chancellor broke down, right, as he uh, told me on Syracuse.com. Well, they never had one, I guess, because they never talked. So that's There you go. And the non-existent relationship broke down because you're right, they didn't even have one, right? So people kind of freaked out because we're in this NIL world. If you're going to get recruits, if you're going to get transfers, like there's got to be an opportunity for these guys and gals to get NIL money. So, and he was the only guy that was like publicly doing it. You know, yes, things were happening behind the scenes, but he was the only guy that was like letting you know, I'm efforting to make this happen. And he was blunt about it. Yep. Yeah, he was blunt about it. And he used his publicity as a strategy, yep. right? Yep. So everybody freaked out when Adam backed out. Now, we should note here that we don't know how much money Adam actually gave people. Right. Like there's a thought I've heard a number. You've heard a number, but I don't want to speculate on that. But what I he's he said a million. Um, He has said that. That's right. Yeah. He has also declined to break down how much he's paying who and whether that's over multiple years or a single year. Um, So he's we don't know how much he's actually he actually paid. Right. He said that he made deals with a value of a million dollars. And that's all we know. That's all we know. Okay, Mm -hmm. so everybody freaks out. Where are we here post-Adam Weitzman, do you think? There's so much we don't know about everything because, the, you know, the, the folks that are doing it now are being more quiet about it. Um, they are not sharing numbers, and they are not putting out there, other than, you know, um, the charity events we know they're happening for football, the Athletes Who Care group, they had a charitable appearance, so we know something is happening, but we don't know how much. What exactly it is, right. Um so to me, the only way to know is like the proof is in the pudding. Like big name transfers, big name recruits, their decisions, yes, playing time matters, yes, relationship with coach matters, but nobody is doing anything without some idea of what the money value of how much they're gonna make. So basketball, you know, JJ Starling one of the top transfers in the transfer portal this year. Yes, hometown kid, that helps. Yes, New But he's not coming home just for the hometown. You don't come for free. You don't do anything for free anymore. So I think that's a really good sign. Judah Mintz coming back, also like a really good sign that that something healthy is happening for basketball. Um, Football, you lose Mm. Deuce Chestnut. You lose Garrett Williams. You lose Jatias Gear to South Carolina. Now, these are all fairly logical. They're, they're going to bigger schools. But, like, they're going, to fair, they're going to bigger schools. But I'm seeing Garrett Schrader in car commercials, mm-hmm. right? Who else from this team will kind of step to that level? Maybe a Marlo Wax mm-hmm. that they're recognizable, they're personable. You can put them in a, in a commercial. You can have them come sign autographs somewhere. You brought it up, though. The good thing about athletes who care and kind of these group efforts is at least there's, there's kind of this, like, you know, the, there's a fund, if you will, where 10 football players mm-hmm. can go to the Samaritan Center or whatever the case may be, and they're going to get something here. Mm-hmm. So there's that opportunity. But then when you compare it out there to, 
I mean, I, I hate to compare it to like Alabama or something sure. like that. But look, we're all swimming in the same seas here when it comes to NIL. Football-wise, Syracuse still feels like <laughs> there's a lot of catching up to do, at least in NIL. So, but, but I'll say this. The world is exactly the way it was before. Yes. When athletes supposedly weren't getting paid. The basketball team is getting recruits about at the level that they got before. And the football team is getting recruits about at the level they got before. So, and let's remember, I don't know how much the world has changed. Weitzman was heavily focused on basketball. He knew where that bread was buttered, right? There was a couple of football players that I think were in line to get, I think Marlo Wax this year, as a matter of fact, was supposed to be in line. But A woman's basketball player. Deja Fair, right? So, but even football is still kind of like, aren't we like the kings of the castle here? What's going on with that? Mm -hmm. You brought up JJ and you brought up Judah. And now we've got this interesting world where you've got to decide between recruiting, the transfer portal, player retention, all these kind of things that are out there. So where should Syracuse spend the money here? The money they can spend, right? Where should the focus be between those things? To me... In the era of the transfer portal, where you can sort of transfer one time free, it does not make much sense to pay recruits. Like I, I know that's like the splashy thing to do, and we all get hyped up on recruiting rankings, but like you are buying a first-year player for maybe a year, and somebody else can just come along, and if they do well, just pay them more. So, so to me, like getting into that recruiting game makes no sense at all which Weitzman had a plan for Elijah Hughes who's an incoming player in the class of 2024 mm -hmm. he put out a million dollar offer mm -hmm. right but he put the parameter that and I think this was smart you would buy percentages I mean recruits five-star recruits don't work out one-star recruits make the NFL sometimes mm -hmm. but he said that he would give a million dollar bonus to a five-star football player and a five-star basketball player that never came to fruition of course but mm -hmm. he even put that on recruiting the big thing with Judah, as you brought up in player retention, that's what everybody talked about. That's why they lost Jesse Edwards, mm -hmm. right? Jesse Edwards came, about that. It yeah. came down to NIL money. West Virginia offered more. And <laughs> the fact that we still talk about this with college players still amazes me, even though I think they deserve it, and, and I'm glad they're getting it there. But it does feel like player retention is where you have to aim this money, right? Because why are they going in the portal? They're looking for better opportunities, more playing time. But in some cases, Jesse Edwards being the prime example, they're just looking for more cash. And Give me the a, bag, baby. And, like, right, that's probably, especially on the football side, like, that's where, like, Syracuse can't compete just for the top players financially, right? They, they, need, to, they need to bring in recruits at the Syracuse level, identify sort of those undeveloped players, and then hope that the relationships – are good enough the fact that they develop from like maybe this hidden talent to like a, a, a top player holds some appeal and that they don't want to rock the boat right aronde gadson he, he he certainly could have become a college football free agent and gotten more than he got here he's in a good place to be garrett schrader's top receiver he developed well in his first year here you take care of him but you don't have to do it right to the to the, to the top level right and Look, the NFL found you. They will find you at Syracuse. Syracuse has picked up steam in terms of NFL draft picks in recent years, particularly out of the secondary, strangely enough. But Gatson is on that radar. So not only are you going to get that attention, 
you're going to get some NIL attention mm-hmm. that if you were at a Alabama or, you know, a big time program like that, sure. you're just kind of in the same waters as like 10 other players in that case. So you can pop and you can stand out here. And look, I'll say this about Weitzman. Okay. Cause you brought it up, Chris. Mm-hmm. There are some people out there. Syracuse. I still think uh, broadly here in terms of its support is too quiet, right? The big time donors and a lot of them prefer kind of old school brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. donations mm-hmm. like you know i don't want to speak for the lallies but like john lally laura lally donate 25 million dollars their names on the building they can see it it's tangible i did that mm-hmm. right you give 50 grand to judah mints like that's nice for him but what am i getting out of that tangibly other than what we see in terms of the record and what the player is what i liked about weitzman mm-hmm. is it made syracuse not only stand out they were almost a leader in the field Right, Because think of the way that student-athletes do NIL, how they use social media, the Cavander twins from Miami. And, you know, you're trying to stand out in such a crowded field, and he did that. You know, people would say, what's the tangible value of Josh Allen sitting courtside, right, of Tom Brady sitting courtside? I don't know, but people are talking about you more than if some big-wig donor is sitting courtside, right? I like that way that he played that game and why Syracuse – look, there's, there's, it takes two to tango, right? But why they felt like we can't tolerate that anymore, I just don't think that's smart. I think you had somebody that made you pop mm-hmm. when it's so hard to do so these days, right? And no one else is stepping up, at least at this point, to say, okay, I'll do that. Like, who else is going to do it? Sure. So I do not think that those things had, a bunch, had much value. Like, I, I don't think recruits are making choices based on who's sitting courtside. I had no issue with the fun part of it. Like, that was okay. And, and, and for Syracuse to not be this stodgy university that it sort of That's is. That's what I liked about For it. a little bit. Yeah. Like, like, that was fun. Um, it is not good when your relationship with a local billionaire who wants to help pay athletes in an era where paying athletes is important won't like wanted to do it and can't do it anymore. Like it's not good on both sides. Like it is a flubbed opportunity, whether whoever you blame, whether you blame Syracuse for, for mismanaging the relationship or if you are upset with Adam because like, you know, he was sort of openly daring the NCAA. Like, come oh, get sure. Me, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and But they're toothless. That's where he had an advantage. Like I, Charlie Baker's there now and maybe they're going to start paying attention to this stuff. But they, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and for them to try and shove it back in there, I think is ridiculous. Sure. Yeah, but I think I think it is bad, right? The the, the, the his absence is a missed opportunity for a school yes. that cannot afford to miss many opportunities. Yes. All right, Chris, we could do a whole show on NIL for sure because that's a big one. But here we go, man. It's dangerous that we're taping this because, like, we could wake up tomorrow, oh, yeah. and the ACC has added the planet Mars. Right. (laughs) They're going for their intergalactic realignment before anybody else. So this is fluid. It's moving. Realignment is insane in college sports these days. But it is an issue for Syracuse. Now, Syracuse is in the ACC. The ACC has a grant of rights through 2036, which has made it near impossible for a school to want to go somewhere else. Florida State has been complaining about that. Mm -hmm but we've seen all this movement in the Big Ten, adding Oregon and Washington 
and USC and UCLA before that. The Big 12 just swallowed. The Big 12, like, was dead five minutes ago. Now, all of a sudden, they've got 16 members, and they're huge. Obviously, the SEC, they didn't participate in this round, but if they've got an opportunity to, to add, I don't know, a Florida State or somebody that makes sense for them, it feels like they're going to do it. So if I'm Syracuse and I'm in the ACC, do I feel safe? Do I really think like I got this? It depends, I think, how long down the road you are looking, um, right? Because all those teams that moved, none of them talked about it. Right. Right? None of them <laughs> made noise. They That's just right. did it. Like, if you can do it, don't talk about it. Do it. Uh, Florida State, you paying attention? Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I talked to a, a media consulting person yesterday who's, who's, you know, his answer was similar to John Wildack. Nobody has broken a grant of rights yet. Nobody has challenged that legally. Um, if somebody does, it will probably take years for the legal stuff to unfold. So, you know, Florida State is stuck in the ACC probably for a while. Um, unless something crazy happens, which, which everybody will admit, like, can't predict the future. Can't. Crazy stuff happened. In, in 2019, Larry Scott was out here just predicting that the Pac-12 was going to be in a windfall, and the, the CEO of Warner Brothers at the time was predicting, you know, the college sports bubble was going to pop. Those are two very smart people. Well, I don't know if Larry smart, Scott's all that smart, but those are two people that should know what they're talking about who came to very different opinions. There is no way to predict the future. Well, Let's look at it, Chris. So the ACC's deal, which was done in 2016 in the spirit of consistency, in the spirit of we need to lock this down mm -hmm. and avoid the craziness of conference realignment. Everybody's freaking out. So John Swafford, the former commissioner of the ACC, puts in this, this grant of rights, which a lot of billable hours have been applied to see, can I get out of this? And to this point, nobody's been able to do it. The Big Ten's deal is seven years, seven billion, which expires in the 2029-2030 season. Mm -hmm. So they'll get to redo their deal before the ACC can even look at this one. Yep. The SEC's deal, which they just signed with ESPN, 10-year deal, billions of dollars, that expires in 2034. They can look at it again. The Big 12, as we said, is just adding teams left and right. They probably added four more programs in the, in the course of this podcast. Their deal expires in 2031. So the big four, with the Pac-12 essentially, you know, being served its last rights here, the big four, all three of them get to do another deal before the ACC can even think about it. You're already $30 million behind pacing behind the SEC and the Big Ten and probably eventually the Big 12. And you're sitting here saying, okay, well, we can't even redo the deal. So I get Florida State's frustrations, but at the same time, everybody's getting about $40 million a year. And you're in what would be in a very volatile state, the safest conference we're in, right? Is, don't I get somewhat of a comfort from that if I'm a Syracuse fan? Like everybody's on Twitter like, John Wildhack and Kent Severo need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, A, I don't think they can do anything about it. And B, do they really have to? So here's, right, long term, here's the challenge, right? Navigate, uh, which is like a sports media, they, they do consulting on um, media rights, uh, they, there was, they put together a webinar for Lead One, which is a, a lobbying firm for athletic directors. And, and they calculated what they consider the, the media rights for a bunch of colleges. 
So Ohio State, they, they didn't do a full list, but, but the list that they gave, they, they listed one, two, three, four, five, six. They listed nine schools. Okay. All right. Ohio State tops the list at $177 million. So, you know. Not bad. B- Big Ten's giving you $58 million, but Ohio State is worth $177 million. Florida State is worth $93 million. So the ACC is giving you $40 million. Florida State is worth $93 million. Syracuse is worth $27 million, according to their calculation. Um, it's less than Virginia Tech. It's less than Miami. Um, it's less than TCU. It's less than Arizona. It is more than Oregon State. Hey, there Oregon you got State that going was worth $23 million. There you go. It is going to be really hard to change that by the time, like, 2036 comes and Florida State has the choice to leave. Well, it's going to be really hard for Syracuse's brand to grow to such a degree that you can close that gap. Like, and, like I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, yeah, John Wildhack should try to, like, be really good at football. But, like... They've tried that. Yeah. We'll get into that. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's right? hard. Yeah. You could argue that they should put more into it and whatever, but, like, everybody's trying to be really good at football. It's not a... It, you, don't, you cannot snap your fingers well, and do it. Well, Chris, let's think about this. Syracuse's ticket to the ACC was basically its connectivity to the New York City television yep. market, right? Rutgers, the same thing in the Big Ten, and Rutgers has been a disaster in the Big Ten. But even in this age of streaming, right... Just this week, as we speak, Disney does their quarterly earnings. Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, basically says, like, we got destroyed on streaming and we're raising the price on Disney Plus and Hulu. And, like, they're losing millions of dollars every quarter on streaming, right? Mm -hmm. For all the talk of streaming is the future and that's where it has to go and that's still the case, there is still something about good old-fashioned linear television, right? That got Syracuse in when they got to the ACC 10 years ago. And it still matters. Right? And still it matters. still matters, mm-hmm. right? There are still people that want to watch the game on traditional television, right? And are slowly but surely, I think of my dear mother, right? Who, when she wants to watch the game and she'll call me and she'll say, hey, where's the game on, as she puts it, that internet, right? Like she's still trying to figure that out. There's still a lot of people out there that just want to turn on the TV and watch the game. So I guess that helps Syracuse, a little, in that sense, a little, because and but, look but, at the Big Ten deal and the, and the SEC deal and why the Pac-12 fall apart. Why the Pac-12 fall apart? Because they offered them an all Apple deal, and Pac-12 schools freaked out and said, "Nope, nope, not doing that. I want my cushy forty million dollars a year from ESPN or Fox, and I know it's coming." The ultimate question, at least, if everyone continues to behave as they currently are, which is no guarantee. But it's, it's how small do those clubs at the top that are making the most money, how small do they want their club to be? Mm. Right? How, how big does a league have to be for TV to feel like they're making the most money? And, like, if it's two 20-team leagues, like, it is going to be hard for Syracuse to crack, like, top 40 schools. Now, if they somehow make it three 16-team leagues or, or something like that right right Syracuse can try to position itself to be in that group long term um, but I you know like man is Syracuse going to be a top 40 football program? no like is that no the answer is no like to hear you ask that question the answer is no so is there an argument they should go independent let's just let's just throw that out there for a minute or two no 
I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But there yeah, are they, those you know. of the thoughts. Syr- like, Syracuse, yeah. I think Syracuse will always be part of a good league. It may not. I agree it may you. not be always part of a power two, but Syracuse is a good school that will always find a home. And it, unless the power two secede from the NCAA, Syracuse, I think, will always be in a league that is at least in the mix. Well, that brings us to our, our third topic, Chris, and that's football versus basketball success. And that's not to take anything away from the soccer team that won a national championship, from a women's lacrosse program that went to the Final Four, a men's lacrosse program that I think is having a strong revival under Gary Gate, and some other programs that have had success. But this comes down to football and basketball at Syracuse. And look, the I want to think of the right way to put this. The word that pops to my mind, Chris, and I hate to be Debbie Downer here, but I just look at the backtrack here. Just look at the last 20, 25 years. The illusion that Syracuse has a path to, say, the college football playoff, right? The path exists. The path exists. 2018 is an example of that. Mm -hmm. They win one more game. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're in the playoff, or they're knocking on the door of the playoff that year. If if they don't, people are upset and and arguing that Syracuse got – you know, they're watching that show with rapt attention. Does Syracuse make the cut? That's once every 30 years that has happened. Now – there's still a path there, right? So I'm operating under that, and remember... And that is what, to me, that is what Syracuse needs to maintain. Yes. L- like, like, if you made me bet that Syracuse will never win a national championship in my lifetime, I would take that bet. But it's like the lottery. You want to be able to have a ticket, and you yes. want to be able to start the season looking at your tickets yes. and saying, if everything goes exactly right, we can go. You know why I didn't win the Mega Millions the other night, Chris? Because I didn't buy a ticket, that, right? That, you why. need a path there. I get that. I understand that. The playoff is bigger now. There are 12 teams in there. I could see Syracuse sneaking in as that 12 seed if they have a 2018 season, okay? Mm-hmm. But realistically, Syracuse football is playing for six or seven wins, get a bowl game, get over the hump. Like, they are not in this conversation to win the ACC but once a decade, okay? Mm-hmm basketball. Adrian Autry takes over here. This is a program that even under legendary coach Jim Beheim sputtered into the tournament when they made it and to their credit they made a sweet 16 run two years ago but really over the course of the last eight years it has been a question mark if this team makes the tournament right. It is a a brand that is known for basketball and the path to a final four or a championship is easier due to the structure of the tournament here. So I'll just ask the next decade, whatever the case may be, is it more important for Syracuse to be good at football or basketball? Because I think it's basketball. I think that is the pressure on Adrian Autry to put Syracuse back at the level that either fans perceive they need to be at or they frankly need to be at. They haven't finished higher than sixth in the ACC since they joined the league a decade ago, except that, that first year they were in. So if you could let me pick, I would pick football, right? On a blank slate, like... Football is more important. Football is what you get in the big conferences. Football can make you rich so that you can pay for everything else. Look at Alabama basketball. Like, they got the money to figure it out under Nate Oates. But there's so much working against Syracuse in football. The geography with recruiting, um, the recent history, the fact that they're a private school instead of a big state school. Like, there's just so much working against them becoming, like, a national power in football. And I think... Like, that is the goal, being a national power, have a program, having a prominent program that your school can hang its hat on and be known for across the country. 
and basketball is at school at Syracuse. Basketball is the place where they have a chance to make that happen, both because it costs less money, there's great history, you can recruit the area and be successful. They have done it. Here's where I'll go back to realignment for a second. No matter how successful the football program is, they're banking that ACC money. It's just there in the bank. So For now. For now. But that money's not contingent on how successful your football program is. The basketball program, not only the success of maintaining your image as a program, recruiting, having an opportunity to go to the tournament, let alone to be in it, to, to win it, right? Syracuse is a top 10 program in the country in terms of basketball revenue. They make money on basketball. Now, Chris, you've written about this a bunch, so correct me if I'm wrong on this. But basically, in recent years, Syracuse is around $22 million in revenue when you operate and take out expenses. They're making anywhere between 5 and $10 million in profit mm-hmm. from basketball. Mm-hmm. Schools don't make money on basketball. Syracuse, by and large, does. Now, Jim boeheim has been out there before saying basically they break even. And, you know, Syracuse. The athletic department. The athletic department. The athletic department, correct. As, well, as we know, Syracuse is not exactly like, here's the books, take a look. But from what is out there, from the public data, what you have looked at, they make money. Can they continue to do that, though, if this program flatlines where they are? So, look, Adrian Autry deserves time to put his system in and figure this out, even though he's been on the bench as an assistant coach for the last 10 years. But we're operating in a very impatient society as it is in college sports. So I think it's a great idea. And you brought up some of the players that have come back and the type of team they have that somehow, some way, they make an impact quickly. So here's the challenge, right? Take this conversation full circle, right? Um, Every Syracuse team that has gone to the Final Four except the first one, has had a McDonald's All-American on it. Um, there was a, yeah, that's a, a that's a good stat. There was a run from 2003 to 2019 where every national champion but one had a McDonald's All-American on it. Times have changed a little bit with the transfer portal, with one and done. Those players leave earlier, but the the key thing I think remains the same. Like if you want to be a national title contender, you need the best players in the country. And to do that, you need the two things we talked about yes. to start off the top of the yes. show. You need NIL, and you, you might eventually need a conference where you, you can revenue share. I, I think bottom line, because we've seen it, I've tasted it, you've seen it, you've trained a fan base to think a certain way. Football, once in a while, will pop up and say, hey, look at us, we can still do a thing. Basketball has to carry the weight. And I know we're in a football world, but that's more realistic. Between the two programs, which of the two can carry the weight, especially – with the ACC money you're banking. Basketball has to be the one to carry it to, you know, like we, we brought up a moment ago, where did Adam Weissman put those players? Now you can't put them courtside at a football game. I understand that, but he knew the best way to get visibility. And that was courtside behind Jim Bayheim. Will that continue to be the case under Autry? And, and that's what people have been excited about, Chris, as we kind of wrap up here, that it's ne- what I've been intrigued by, and I wonder if you feel the same way, and I even heard Adrian Autry do an interview and kind of refer to this. People are excited about getting back to what Syracuse basketball is. We're having a conversation about moving forward. How do you move forward? But everybody's like, let's go back to the day when Autry was the point guard, and they're pushing the ball, and everybody's excited about you know that style of play. 
But I've heard a lot more people say, let's go back to, not let's move forward with. I think that's been an interesting you know, philosophy that fans have kind of attached themselves to. Uh, I think they're clearly ready to move on forward, though. Like, I mean... Move forward from from Bayheim, right, from a, yeah. a, a past era, if you will. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they, they want the past success with a, with a more modern style of right. play. Chris, thank you, man. This was fun. We'll definitely have you back sometime here. Uh, I love reading Chris's stuff. I know you guys love reading Chris's stuff out there, so check it out, Syracuse.com. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see Chris's uh, Twitter feed there. You can follow him there, and uh, always appreciate the time and the insight, my friend. Yeah, get ready for 10 more years of this. Oh, but wait. There's just one more thing. Have you heard what's happened with Baltimore Orioles play-by-play man Kevin Brown, who happens to be a Syracuse University grad and the former voice of the Syracuse Chiefs? For those few that haven't, Brown was suspended by the Baltimore Orioles for stating facts. Team owner John Angelos took issue with Brown, pointing out during a pregame segment on July 23rd that Baltimore had won as many games at Tampa Bay's Tropicana Field this year as it had in its previous three seasons combined. That nugget was accompanied by an on-screen television graphic, and the information was provided by the team's PR staff. Let's stop here for a minute. If Brown was suspended for stating that, were they suspended too? Was the producer, director, truck crew, and anybody else involved with that suspended by Angelos, who also happens to run the team's channel, Masson, for their egregious crimes of reporting statistics? Angelos was even too dense to recognize that what Brown pointed out complemented the Orioles and the resurgent season it's having compared to the dregs it has resided in for years as a bottom dweller with the second lowest payroll in Major League Baseball. Way to take the feel-good story of the year and send it off the rails there, Johnny. Now, Brown was suspended for nearly two weeks. Again, for giving Orioles fans factual information. I mean, how dare you? Never underestimate the hubris of owners, ADs, coaches, radio station owners who lose touch and think that their audience and their fans want a harmonious, everything-is-awesome utopia where nothing is ever wrong with the teams that they invest their time and money in. I don't know, maybe some do, but either extreme is way too much. The homer who sees no flaws in their team, they're delusional. The Debbie Downer that can no longer feel joy in watching sports, shouldn't be watching sports. It is a game after all. Is it too much to find the balance somewhere in the middle of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat? I take some comfort in knowing that Brown's suspension brought about fierce defense from several of his colleagues on Major League Baseball broadcasts. A free Kevin Brown chat even broke out at an Orioles-Yankees game. See, you guys always know. The fans always know. While I certainly can't speak for everybody, it's been my experience that most people just don't want a steady diet of BS. Just give it to me straight, Doc. It's my aim on this podcast to stay right in that lane. My hope is to give you the opinions, insight, analysis, and the great guests that you deserve to hear from. And then you can decide what you think. What a concept, eh? Just don't tell John Angelos. That's episode one of Syracuse Sports with Brent Axe. Hope you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Please leave us a review. It really helps us stand out, and we certainly want your feedback on the show as well. My thanks to Chris Carlson. 
for being our guest today to Nate Mink, Lauren Long, Krista Lemzak, and Scott Schild for their technical assistance. Of course, we want to thank you for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time.